Well, hi there, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. And it's not a road show, but it's Brad and Joe. We are we are on the scene. Brad Davis, my brother from another mother. How you doing down there in the free state? Joe, what's happening? Things are well, man. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on, brother. I'm old. I turned 60 today. Oh, is it uh, on today? the on the day of on the day of our recording? Um I am I am six tenths of a century old. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday <laughs> and congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations, I think, is um, is the most appropriate, you know, to somebody, you know how you get the 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 birthday greetings on Facebook and stuff, and somebody that's, you know, was like a year ahead of me in school texted me like, you know, welcome to the club. And I'm said, I'm just glad I finally qualify. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, so uh so we're doing a we're doing a little um birthday edition, I guess, of the uh of the accidental tomatoes podcast. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm excited for this conversation today. And, um, so I'll just kind of, I'll just kind of, you know, introduce what we're talking about here today. This is going to be a little bit different, um, than what we normally do. You know, a lot of the, our regular setup for those of you, um, in the audience who kind of follow our work is normally we'll have a podcast come out on, on a Monday. And then the following Monday, um, on the accidentaltomatoes.com website, we'll have a blog post by either you or me or Jenny Williams or Heather Moore, or you know, occasionally we'll have a guest writer in. Uh, but that's been sort of our routine. Uh, but you wrote something here, and and it's been a couple of weeks since you, since you wrote it, but um, but our schedules have been so hectic that we're just now able to kind of sit down and and talk about it. But you wrote something um, as a reflection for your churches um, for for Maundy Thursday during Holy Week. Um, that, um, that just really resonated with me. And so what we're going to do is for those of you who are listening, we're posting, um, the article that Brad wrote on the blog at the same time as we're releasing this podcast. So that'll make it easier if you're interested in reading, you know, what's, what's in the, the, um, the article that Brad wrote, um, you can kind of read along as we talk about it, if you want, or if you want to listen to this and then go back and read it or read it first and then come back and listen. We're, we want to make that available um, because it's just such, um, you know, Brad, we, you and I were saying before we started recording here, uh, the concept that you wrote about and, and, and the, the blog title is going to be um, where love is absent, God is absent, right? We're going to unpack that a little bit. But that that concept of where there is not love, there is not God, right? I just, you know, I, I told you when I first read it, I'm like, we need to just, you know, have have a roadshow. Right? We need to have a conversation um, and kind of unpack this concept. So you want to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of in general, what you wrote again for you listeners, um, the, the piece is available on the Accidental Tomatoes blog at accidentaltomatoes.com. But Brad, give us a little insight as to what you wrote about, and then let's um, let's kind of see where the conversation flows from. Yeah, so so you know during Holy Week, um, I was as I always do every weekday, uh, I was writing uh, what I call digital devotions uh, for uh, for my churches uh, on the charge, um, and and all during Holy Week, I was sort of drawing inspiration from uh, the gospel in Solitaname, uh, which is, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with this collection, uh, it, 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 that's exactly what it is. It is a collection of um, uh, transcripts 
uh, from um, these these uh, church meetings of uh, Nicaraguans, poor rural peasant Nicaraguan farmers uh, back in the 1970s uh, when when uh, Fa Father Ernesto Cardinal, a Catholic priest in Nicaragua, went to the community of Salataname and began and, and really began to create uh, what we know as base, a base ecclesial community there, mm. uh, where um, the the it, very a very dialogical community where um, the gospel texts for the Sundays and for the week were uh, discussed were, were were talked about in a dialogue rather than the priest preaching a sermon to these folks, uh, which, and, and we can go in many different directions of that. Yeah. Yeah. That, just in that concept alone, yeah, there's a lot of fruit for conversation, but I do think it's a helpful basis to understand the context yes. of, of the piece that you wrote. Yeah. So, so for, for Maundy Thursday, the piece that I wrote, which, which is being published today, along with this, this, uh, podcast, uh, the 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 discussion that was had between Father Cardinal and his parishioners on this particular Maundy Thursday was revolving around what what is traditionally always the gospel text on Maundy Thursday, uh, which is the from the Gospel of John, the, the gospel the Gospel of John's Virgin of the last supper, which we know all it revolves around the foot washing scene. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. Of, uh, and, and so, uh, and Jesus says, uh, you know, you know, the, that, that he is only with the disciples for a little while longer. And then he's leaving and, and you will look for me when I go, he says, you will look for me. Uh, so, this peasant named Elvis, uh, th this peasant farmer, this cappuccino, as they're known in Latin America, uh, has this totally profound theological insight on that particular verse. Uh, and he says, uh, as long as we have a divided society, as long as there are class distinctions, Jesus is not there. Mm. So, and then he goes on to say, and they're going to be looking for him without finding him. But if we obey the new commandment, then we've got him with us. The new commandment being love one another as I have loved you. Right, right. Which, just for those who, who may not be familiar with the church lingo that we use sometimes, yeah. when we call when we talk about Maundy Thursday, the Thursday of Holy Week, the day before Good Friday, the day before um, when we mark Jesus's, um, execution. Um, so yeah, it's an observance it, of the last step. Right, yeah. right, right. And so we call it Maundy Thursday because, uh, the, of the Latin word is it mandatum. Is that the right Latin? Um, yeah. What you say. And, and so, yeah, mandatum, mandatum. Yeah. Um, um, so that's where the, the term Maundy Thursday comes from is this mandate, this new command that Jesus gives his disciples, um, wherein he says, you know, whatever else you've learned, remember yeah. this, yeah. love one another, love, love, one, love another. one another, love. Yeah. 
love one another. And and, and that for that what what Elvis said just the, the light bulb came on when I read that, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, not only is he right, but he is profoundly right that that if we are looking for God um in society in, in a society where division exists where class distinctions exist where racism exists where violence exists uh and the whole litany of of all that is the all that ails society god is not present in any of that we will not find jesus there um and and it is only in loving one another, only in, in perf- putting performative action behind that command mm-hmm. of one another, um, that or concrete action rather. Uh, that is how we manifest the presence of God in society, because we know we're, we're told uh, in, in elsewhere in the New Testament that the very foundational characteristic of God, the essence of God is love. God is love. Uh, So it stands to reason then, if God is love, then wherever love is not present, neither is God. Mm, mm, mm. Man, that's such, I I can't even decide which way to go first because um, it's, it's so rich um, with possibilities. So the first thing I want to do um, but it, just by way of kind of agreement with the statement, God is love, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, years ago, I kind of, through my own studies and stuff, had kind of come to this notion that, uh, of thinking about th- this idea that God is love and that if that's true, then, then by necessity, what that means is that love is the creative force of the cosmos. Yes. I, at the time, I thought it was an original idea. I have since learned that um, Taylor Deschardins wrote extensively about that, um, and that was just not any of the reading that I came across. And 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 Taylor obviously gets much deeper into it than than whatever my feeble little thoughts about the idea were. Um, but 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 I think that statement dovetails so well with that idea that, you know, that God is love. Therefore God is not only the, well, I, I mean, I think the, the creative uh, impetus, creative influence, whatever is a, a, an accurate enough way of saying it, but, but you could also say that, that love slash God is the, also the glue that unites everything that holds everything together. And what, so then you know, by by our friend Elvis's reasoning here, um, where where that unity is pulled apart, right? Um, then then it's it's reasonable to say that God is absent in that space. If if there is no love there, then God is not there. Now we could get into some really interesting kind of theological pissing matches about to what extent is God. Sure. Present or absent based on to what extent love itself may be present or absent. And I guess that's kind of the track I, I was curious in taking first, maybe. Yeah, you you uh, you could almost call that the the um, the hate vacuum, right? Um, oh, yeah. 
you know, the, 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 that wherever there is an absence of love, there is a void there um, in the universe that uh, where, where God is absent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That, you know, that, that also reminds me a little bit that when I was kind of first chasing that train of thought a few years ago, what I was really, the stuff that I was working through at the time, and I can't remember if it was for a sermon series or a Bible study or something, or if it was even for seminary work, I don't remember. But but I think the thread that I was pursuing at the time when, when I kind of came up with that notion that Taylor, you know, definitely said much more cogently than I did. Um, I think what I was pursuing was a, a better way to define sin than simple behavior management. And it occurred to me that one of the ways we talk about sin is an absence of God, right? You know, where, where you know, that a lot of times you'll hear that sin is our separation from God, right? And so it makes sense to me. And I think this is the, this is the same reasoning we're talking about, right? That if sin is separation from God, then that means what sin is, is an absence of love. Absolutely. Right? It's, it's the same principle just kind of applied in reverse. And, right? and, and in, 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 in putting it in those terms and in, in understanding sin in that way, then we very rightly broaden our conception of sin then, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah. That sin, sin suddenly is not uh, what has become popular in Western Christianity. Sin is not only uh, a matter of uh, inward piety, right? Or, right, or, right, or, right? or not only a matter of my own individual thoughts, thoughts right, and right. or actions and behaviors, and yeah, behaviors, yeah. but but it is expanded to a social level, right? It is expanded right. to a communal level because where wherever there is uh, mass violence occurring. Uh, which in our current context is very relevant, right? Where, where, wherever there is mass violence occurring, wherever poverty exists, uh, where, you know, wherever kids are going hungry, um, you name it. Um, that's sin. That is sin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh man, you're you're sending me down a, a Tom Joad rabbit hole now. You know. <laughs> <laughs> wherever there's a newborn babies crying, wherever there's a cop beating up a guy. You know? exactly, exactly. Wherever there, uh, you know, to echo what Elvis was talking about, where, wherever there is societal divisions, societal inequity, mm. wherever there is racism, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, where, where we demean the personhood and the humanity of, of another, of, of our neighbors, um, because of their ethnicity or the color of their skin, uh, then that that is that cannot be anything but sin because it's an absence of love. Yeah, and yeah. and to frame that in Wesleyan terms, uh, you know that that is a, a breaking of the first general rule, mm. right? It's yeah, we're yeah. doing harm to people and, and and to society at large. Yeah. You know, and even maybe to even frame it in kind of a more evangelical context, you know, a a lot of a a lot of folks from evangelical traditions would say something like God and sin cannot exist in the same place. Right. 
this is exactly what we're talking Absolutely. about, right? Um, if sin is an absence of love, then again, you to go to circle back to what to what Elvis said in the beginning here. Um, it, where love is absent, God is absent, and, right? And, right? And I so I think that's even. I, I mean, I think it certainly resonates with those those of us from a Wesleyan background. I mean, it's it's almost our native tongue. Mm-hmm. But I think for folks that are that maybe come from more of a, a Calvinist background or a more evangelical background. This is just another way of saying that same that that idea that you know sin and God don't exist in the same place, right? We just have to, I, but I do think we have to be willing to, like you said, expand our view of what sin is beyond just personal individual behavior management yeah. to seeing it as these systemic, you know, issues. Um, which makes me think also about the conversation that you and I've been having for a while now. And, and I think we've even mentioned it here on the podcast before about this idea kind of equating or comparing exploitation with sin, right? The, the idea that what, whatever we call original sin, um, is a matter of exploitation, right? Which is very clearly an absence of love for our neighbors if we're exploiting them. Yeah. It's a, again, getting back to that, um, that, that notion of uh, demeaning one's personhood, but uh, mm. because if you're exploiting someone, if you're uh, uh, just for example, uh, you know I'm I live in the southern coal fields and serve in the southern coal fields of West Virginia, so uh, a place where where the population has historically uh, had their labor exploited. Um, so. You know, if you if you are exploiting someone's labor and treating them simply as a means to uh, to extract a product or to make a product, uh, essentially viewing that person as a machine rather than a human mm-hmm. being, then mm-hmm. then you are what you're doing is you're diminishing their their personhood. Uh, and when we do that, as you well know we are diminishing the image of God in which they are created. So, mm, and if yeah. we, and if we are, we are somehow devaluing or diminishing the image of God, then not only are we sinning against that person, we are sinning against God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because all of us are made in the image of God. Um, so, so to do, so to do harm, getting back to that very Wesleyan, uh, essential term if to to do harm to uh, another human being is essentially harming god and, yeah, and yeah. that and that and there is no love present and god is not present in that um yeah. which and and you you spoke earlier of um you know love being the creative force that um that generated all things that, that that generated the universe and continues to generate uh, the universe. Um, you know, th- there's a very popular um, or famous, rather, uh, uh, quote, and I can't remember off the top of my head who said it, but it but it's circulated most often in Marxist circles where uh, change only comes at the point of a gun. Mm. Um, I would contend that change comes with the revel with a love revolution of the heart. Yeah, uh, because not only is love 
the creative force that generated everything. It is also the creative force that will regenerate the universe and redeem the universe uh, and set things back in right order. Mm. Put, put the world, put the world back into place as God intended it to be from the and, and that's that's resurrection, right? I mean, absolutely in the in the season of Easter, um, and that you know we we we've gotten so hyper individualistically focused on the disposition of our disembodied, you know, post mortem souls, yeah, um, to have to do with resurrection. But um, you know, Richard Rohr talks about that all the time. Resurrection is the observable pattern of everything all around us. Absolutely, and and what you're talking about is. Um, is resurrection. I wanted to read uh, a quote from the piece that you wrote uh, because it really, uh, it, it's exactly what you were just saying, but I just, I love the way you said it uh, in this piece. On this night, prior to his state-sanctioned murder on trumped-up charges of sedition, Jesus indeed is fomenting revolution among his followers, but not a revolution seeking to violently overthrow those in power. No, this is a love revolution that subverts cultural normalcies and societal fallacies, a revolution of the heart that brings humanity together with God and one another. I just think that's so beautifully written. And it, I think it beautifully captures um, the the imagery of the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this idea that, that, yeah, I mean, Jesus was a revolutionary. He was not a violent revolutionary. Yes. Uh, he was, and, and I would argue that Jesus's revolution is something much deeper than violence could ever achieve, right? Um, we, we've we've seen attempted violent revolutions, and they've all gotten us the same place throughout the history of humankind. Um, we've never really tried Jesus's way. You know, that's what I say to people when people ask me how I can be a pacifist. You know, I'm like. We've never really tried it. How do we know it doesn't work? We always chicken out, you know, Yeah, and, and we pick up our guns and, you know. Yeah, because love is, uh, yes, the creative force of the universe, but it's also the unifying yeah, yeah. of the universe. Love is what brings us together as, as humanity. Um, and, and Anything else, uh, any anything that is void of love, always serves to drive us apart. Always serves to separate. Yeah. yeah. Where, whereas Jesus demonstrated uh, in his life, his ministry, uh, his execution on the cross, uh, his resurrection demonstrated the fact that. Th- Love is the only force that that reconciles mm-hmm. uh, humanity, not only to God, uh, which it most certainly does, but with each other. Uh, love is the force uh, that that uh, I almost look at it as a a, a magnetic force that draws us together. Uh, and reconciles us with one another. I, I think that, in large part, is um, uh, the the thinking uh, that that was behind the civil rights movement, right? As conceived yeah, yeah. as conceived in the mind of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, 
mm-hmm. as conceived in the mind of, of Mahatma Gandhi, who, um, you know, uh, uh, was not a, a professing Christian, uh, w- was a part of a, another religion, but he demonstrated for us uh, yeah. and his movement demonstrated for us what a really what a love centered, God centered movement for reconciliation, peace, and love looks like. Yeah. So, so why are Christians so afraid of love in that way, do you think? <laughs> I, that might be a loaded question. It just kind of occurred to me as you were saying. Um, why are we so afraid to really um, lean into that? You know? I, I think in, in, in large part, Western culture, um, says that 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 is uh, uh, that's weak yeah right? yeah uh, we I think that culturally we in the West probably America in particular uh, are are it's ingrained with within us from a very early age that uh, to to show love or, or to show compassion and empathy uh, in any way mm. um, is a sign of weakness, particularly for particularly for men, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That that's a sign of weakness. Uh, where, whereas uh, Jesus's teachings uh, is the complete antithesis of that. So I, I think yeah. that's really probably one of the reasons why we find it difficult to engage and, and plus and, and, and let's be honest it's hard work too oh yeah it's hard it work it is hard um because if we're going to love one another uh, the way god loves us and the way jesus loved us uh, then, then we have to love everybody and not just the people that we like yeah yeah, and then not just, and this was the other thing I was thinking about with all of this too. Um, we we've become really skilled at rationalizing. Yes, what we call love, <laughs> you know, we right. we're really good at rationalizing, um, hating people and and abusing people and exploiting people and saying that's what I have to do to love you because I'm so concerned that you're just so wrong, right? And and so we say the best way I can love you is to fix you essentially, which to me flies in the face of the sermon on the Mount. It's kind of, it's kind of like, um, uh, our, our dear, um, some of our dear evangelical siblings who, who, who like to point out that, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm pointing your sin out in love, right? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. telling you, I'm telling you that you are a damned sinner going to hell because I love you. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? Correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, this is such good stuff. Um, it, yeah, I was thinking too, you know, uh, w- with what you were just saying a minute ago that about, you know, the way Western culture, you know, finds love to be kind of a weakness, especially in, in men. But I, I think if you, if we push back even a little further, historically what what we call christianity in the west what what's accepted as christianity in the west 
is, and we we just need to be really careful to to define this. It's Constantinian Christianity. It's it in in almost no way resembles the fo- following the way of Jesus of Nazareth. It's it's a kind of Christianity that developed in concert with political powers and economic powers, um, social and cultural powers, in order to control and manipulate people. We've been doing it for so long that we think that that's real Christianity. That's real Christianity, right? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's what that's what it looks like to be the church. Yeah, and and I think that's part of why we we find ourselves in this, you know, this time of shifting sands within um, the institutional church. You know, I I, I mention a lot um, um, Phyllis Tickle's book, um, The Great Emergence, where she talks about our, our 500 year rummage sales. You know that. Um, that Christianity has. And, and, and if you look at those patterns that she lays out in that book, you know, we, we are now 500 years removed, 500 plus a few removed from the Protestant Reformation. Um, and historically, if you, it's, it, we're not experiencing the same tensions as the church was when Martin Luther tacked his theses to the door of Wittenberg chap. It's not the same tensions exactly. But it's the same types of tensions, right? It's these, we, we've discovered that what we have, been, the, the assumptions that we've been working under for the last five centuries just really don't make sense anymore, right? Um, and, and we're rightly, I think, reexamining those things, asking ourselves these hard questions, doing this, this really hard, deep theological work, like, you know, the piece that you wrote reflects, um, to, to say, you know, Maybe we've fallen into some bad habits. And I always love that imagery that Phyllis Tickle uses of a rummage sale and not just, you know, some kind of cultural sea change because a rummage sale to me, it means that you have to go through all of your shit <laughs> and you got to decide what you're keeping and what you're throwing. It's not, it's not just a massive get rid of everything and start all over, but it's like, there's a lot of this stuff that's just in the way now and we need to get rid of it, but there's still some of this stuff that really is important and valuable and we need to hold on to it. And maybe we need to examine our relationships with some of these ideas. Right. Um, but, but just, I think these conversations are just due, right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, folks, and, and I say that to say, Folks shouldn't be afraid of, of these these questions and these ideas that we're asking. They they should engage the conversation. I I have no expectations that everyone would agree with, you know, the, the conclusions that you and I are coming up with. But I sure as heck want them to be engaged in the conversation. You know. Yeah, we have to um, begin to have these hard, tough conversations about faith and yeah and yeah. the future of the movement that we call uh christianity and the future yeah. of the church because uh as you alluded to uh we are in the midst and probably very early uh, mm-hmm. uh in the midst of a of a sea change of a a paradoxical shift yeah yeah uh, or a parad parad par- paradigm shift rather um, that we need to start talking about these things. That there are things uh, that we are weighed down with 
uh, as a as 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 a culture, uh, church culture that need to be jettisoned. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chief among them is anything that is controlling uh, or coercive or manipulative uh, or or uh, violent even. That that has to go because that is not the kingdom of God. That's not God's empire. That's the empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that that's how the empire operates. That's how the God of this world operates. Not mm-hmm. the God that we serve. Yeah. So, so we we got to have these, and they're tough conversations, but they have they to are they are yeah. And, and I you know I'm trying to imagine you know, folks that are listening to this and that aren't just aren't buying it because of whatever their traditions, beliefs, whatever are. And that that's fine. Um, one, of, one of the arguments I can imagine is folks listening to what we're saying, reading the piece and say, well, that's just liberation theology. Right. And um, <laughs> which it is. It is and, yeah. and, and I make no I make no apologies for that. I was thinking about this this morning um, as I was kind of sorting through my day in my mind before I got things started today that that people use that as a criticism, but I've kind of come to a point now in my own spiritual um, development, I guess. I'm not sure that there's any other kind of theology than liberation theology. I mean, I've studied, and and I say that (laughs) to, to just kind of emphasize, like I didn't, I didn't come into Christianity as a liberation theologian. Right. Um, And, 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 you know, historically, that's a movement that we trace a little over a hundred years ago, maybe um, late nineteenth, early twentieth century is when it became popular. Its roots are much deeper than that, obviously. But most of us who were born into the world in the twentieth and twenty first centuries, uh, born into the the Western Christian world at least, um, have been handed a, a theology that is so individualistic and so self serving that. That you know, th- this idea of a liberation gospel seems counterintuitive, but as someone and you and I are both in the same boat, as as people who have been raised in those traditions and who have studied across the board, you know, um, different atonement theologies and different angles on theology, and I just I cannot come to any other conclusion personally um, that the gospel is not. In- meant to be entirely liberative, that the, the whole point of Jesus is to liberate people from oppression and marginalization and exploitation, you know. Well, um, and that, that, but that's hard for, for white folks to hear because we've always been on the other side of that. Right? And, and again, that's, that goes back to having those conversations. Of, exactly. Yeah. You know, our, our conceptions of what the church is supposed to be and what Christianity is supposed to be have been very distorted uh, over the centuries, right by, right? by a multitude of factors. Um, but but yeah, if you go, I, I mean, I always take it back uh, to what I consider to be Jesus's mission state, right? Which was in Luke four when he stands up in the Nazareth synagogue and quotes from Isaiah. And 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 gives his purpose, why he has come, mm. and it is all about liberation. Yeah, uh, setting the captives free, good news to the poor, 
recovery of sight to the blind, announcing the year of the Lord's favor, which is coded language that the, the Jewish folks who were listening to him would have understood that to mean the year of Jubilee. Yeah, the yeah. The year of freedom has come. Uh, it, it's all about, um, it, it is all liberative. Um, I, just to, to, to quote who many consider to be the, the father of liberation theology, Gustavo Gutierrez, who, who basically begins his book, uh, the, which some would consider uh, to be the, the, the manual for uh, liberation theology, which is called a theology of liberation. Mm. Uh, he basically begins his book by saying salvation is liberation. Liberation is salvation. Um, so it, you, you really can't separate those two concepts because they're basically one yeah. and the same. If we really buy into a biblical conception of what salvation really is. Mm. This is good stuff, man. I, I want to kind of wrap this up. The the well, next to last paragraph or so uh, of what you wrote. Um, I, I think brings us brings kind of wraps a, a bow around all of this in a way. Um, that's why it's imperative that we who follow the Galilean healer take to heart his command to love one another. It is by doing this that we shall spark a societal revolution and enact a new society, a new social reality rooted in Jesus's love for us and the entirety of creation. Yeah. A new command I give you, right? <laughs> Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. I, I mean, you know, uh, Jesus. Uh, Jesus tells us in, in in another part of the Gospels that you know what is the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is is to love God with all of who you are, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Uh, and he go and and then he very rarely do we follow up with what he says right after that, when he says, "Upon this, all of the law and the prophets hang." It, yeah. In yeah. other in other words, all of Scripture is summed up in that command. This is it. This is it. That's the tweet, right? That's yeah. it. That's the tweet. That, that's, yeah. that's the tweet. That's the mic yeah. drop moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, and Paul echoes that as well in Romans when he says, you know, the, the, the entirety of the law is summed up in loving your neighbor because love, and this gets back to that Wesleyan notion of doing no harm, right? Paul says love does no harm to a neighbor. Mm. Love does no harm to a neighbor. So wherever there is no love, you can be sure God ain't, God ain't there, man, man, this is good stuff. Well, friends, um, thanks for taking the time to listen to Brad and I just kind of, um, riff on this subject. Uh, it's always, we, the two of us spend hours <laughs> doing this kind of stuff. And so it's always fun, uh, for, for both of us. I think, I guess I shouldn't speak for you, Brad. But, no, it's always um, fun. It, it's, a blast. It, it's fun. And I think it's fun to, to let our, uh, our listeners in, 
to be a fly on the wall for some of these conversations. And, uh, and, and so hopefully, um, for all of you who are, are listening, I mean, I, I really welcome you to, to engage with this. Um, you know, jump on our social medias in the comment sections. Uh, give us your thoughts. Um, read the piece over on the blog at accidentaltomatoes.com and, um, and, and, you know, use the comment section there or, uh, or track us down on, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and, um, give us a piece of your mind, you know, cause, uh, that's like, like we said, we're, we're here for the whole conversation. So, um, yeah, I think yeah. that's, uh, I think, I think that's a, a pretty good wrap. Friends, as always, uh, you can find everything we do here at Accidental Tomatoes on our website, accidentaltomatoes.com. And, uh, we look forward to, to, hearing from you there. Um, if, if you listen to us on another platform, uh, please give us a rating and review there that, that helps elevate, um, our presence and helps other folks find us. Uh, and as always, you can reach out to us again on social media or send us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. Brad, thanks so much, um, for joining in this conversation, for writing such a brilliant, uh, Maundy Thursday reflection, even though we're getting to it a couple weeks <laughs> after the fact, um, I think it's still great food for thought as we go through this this resurrection season. Uh, thanks for having me, Doe. Always cool and a great pleasure to, to kick it around with you. It's a good time. It always good is. Time. Yes, sir. All right, friends. Well, until next time, keep on growing outside the fences. And join us again for another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.